Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media won't ask, right here at sfm.scot. I'm John Cole and this week we'll be talking to Hibs legend Paul Kane and to broadcaster Stuart Cosgrove about the Wembley weekend and about their own clubs and what for both has now become, wait for it, the post-Scottish Cup eras. International week saw the return of the much-missed trip to Wembley for a Scotland team and a manager who was very much under pressure. The attraction apparently so magnetic that the retired Scott Brown reignited his faith in the national team so that he could follow the Imam Strachan to complete his football hajj at England's soccer mecca. A ritual performed previously by his ancestors in another far more simple time. Sadly though, it was all for naught. The English infidels put Scott and his boys to the sword. You wonder that if Donald Trump had won office in Scotland this week, how quickly would his intense vetting have begun before readmitting the boys in pink? As we know, for Donald, that may well have been another questionable character defect in itself. But leaving metaphors to one side for the moment though, 0-3 defeat by the English, despite a credible performance by the team, was quite a watershed. Will Strachan go? How did Scottish football get to this sorry state? Will Bruni retire again? Do we really have to play in pink to give that horde of newly outed English nat reactionaries the opportunity to hurl their Alf Garnet's greatest homophobic hits at us? I should tell you that other rhetorical questions are also available at reputable outlets, mainly in the Scottish mainstream media. There is also the footy soap opera in Scotland, which, like the late lamented El Dorado, has failed to manage one full season. Joy in the Jocks was cancelled after eight episodes, which were each hysterically well received in the press, although the review is subsequently subject to fairly extensive revision after inspection by the Department of Truth at Blythewood Square. Meanwhile in the Championship and the race to the title continued unabated with Hibs dropping two points at home to Falkirk. And we hope to be discussing that with Paul Kane very shortly. But first of all, the International Match at Wembley. I was pleasantly surprised at how well Scotland played actually and how comfortably they matched England for most of the game, even outplayed them at times. Sadly though, and I've witnessed this countless times at all level of football, the team with the quality in their ranks almost inevitably avail themselves of that quality at some point during the game. And the quality that saw three out of four chances converted into goals easily beat the team who spurned even more than four chances, failing to score with even one. Again though, and I suppose this applies to the English as well, there are international sides with less resources than us, less people passionate about the game than us, have less of a historical connection to the game than us, who consistently outperform us. Whatever it is that isn't working, and take it from me, Brian McClare and Mark Watty both know what it is but couldn't get support for solutions from the clubs in the SFA. Something is badly wrong in Scottish football, which is pretty much where we came in. Scottish football suffers from an acute conservatism and approach, driven by people who know very little about the science and the arts of the game itself. The subject is worthy of far more than just a few cursory lines from me, of course, and it should be given more of an airing in SFM. The trouble with the mainstream media, who have filled enough column inches over the years in this subject to get to Mars and back, are impaired by their incestuous relationships with the very conservative-minded people 
who have seen the second oldest football nation in the world playing catch-up with Malta in the world rankings. The same people who think creating a sectarian backdrop to the game is a substitute for quality. Donald Trump could learn a lot from our great leaders at Hamden. But as long as the cash rolls in though, who's complaining? Paul Kane is a Hibs legend. In eight years at Easter Road, he made 247 league appearances for the club he supported all his life, scoring 33 goals along the way, before joining Oldham in January 1991. As well as England, he's played in Norway and also for St Johnston, Aberdeen and Clyde. Now an Edinburgh businessman, Paul is active in the Hibs Former Players Association and with fan organisations. Paul has recently witnessed the lows of relegation two and a half years ago and a failure to achieve promotion twice since then. He's also experienced the high of that Scottish Cup win. This season though, promotion is very much Hibs' top priority and the championship race within the United looks like being very close indeed. Hibs were held to a 1-1 draw at home to Falkirk at the weekend, a result which leaves them a slender one point ahead of Dundee United with the same number of games played. So I asked Paul if this was a setback or is he still confident that the High Bs will be back at the top next season? No, no, I think, I think it's going to be like that throughout the season. I mean, I think that the, the top five teams, it looks as though it's going to be Dundee United and Hibs looking for the, the top slot, the league. And that's the one you want to win because obviously you're away from all the troubles in the playoffs. You've got another three teams in the playoffs and once you get to that stage, it's uh, chaos, you know what I mean? All, all things throughout the whole season mean nothing as you get into the playoffs. But uh, it was an open game because a, a lot of teams come to Easter Road uh, and bed down and bed down for a point but Falkirk came and had a goal and until the man until the man got sent off to Iowa, it was an open game it could have went either way Falkirk yeah. looked as though they were going to school Hibs looking as though they were going to school and the game actually was spoiled by the sending off Yeah sometimes it can kind of go against the team who uh, who who have still got 11 men you know in situations like that can't it? Yeah, and basically Hibs didn't create too many chances after the way, after the after the Falkirk man got sent off. They had a couple of a couple of stone wallers chances that they didn't take, and then it kind of petered out. You thought oh, it's going to go a nil nil here. It doesn't look as though anybody scored, and Falkirk scored for a, from a corner kick. And you think they've defended very well. Hibs had them under a lot of pressure. They scored, and you think, oh, I think it looks as though Falkirk are going to win here because they've defended so well in the game so yeah. far. And Hibs popped up with an equaliser through a cross from Hanlon as well. So from Hibs' point of view, pr- probably quite satisfying because you managed to get the draw well, at the end, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, they'll be, they'll be disappointed that when, when you've got 11 men against 10 and you don't make it a count, especially at home, mm. they'll, they'll be disappointed. But they're still nipping tuck, you know what I mean, between Dundee United and Hibs just now. It's their one point ahead. They've not gained anything, but they've not lost anything either. And I think it will be like that. Because there's Morton coming off a hell of a run. they being down in the bottom kind of four. If you can get a, a good run of results, you can, you can shoot yourself up, up, up the table or into the playoff area again. Yeah, isn't it as if Hibs and Dundee United are way ahead of the pack here? It's, it is very competitive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean... The game in a couple of weeks, the Friday night game, it's on the Sky. Yeah. That'll be the crucial game because obviously whoever wins that one, it will obviously go ahead. But it, 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 it didn't do them any, it didn't do them any harm. Any harm. I mean, at the end, I think they were glad to get the result because obviously they didn't want the defeat at home. 
Looking back though, Paul, to, to the end of last season and the effect that it's had on this season, I mean, we, we were talking earlier on the programme about this being a kind of post-Scottish Cup era for Hibs and St Johnson because we've got Stuart coming on as well. That must have been a, a huge, huge boost for the club moving forward. Oh, it's a massive boost because I think without the, the share issue money coming in, it also helped that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Scottish, Scottish Cup one boosted that, boosted the coffers. Obviously, season tickets, it boosted the coffers, the merchandise. And the turnover for last year was up to £7 million, which was part of the Scottish Cup one. The season before, I think the, the, the turnover was something like £5.5 million. So there's been a shoot of £1.5 million from the, the Scottish Cup one. And what you've gained now is, uh, is three or 4,000 supporters connected to a, a winning club. Your lifeblood, a lifeblood of any club as as their kids and young, young kids growing up to be have supporters. And once you get them into the habit and they get to maybe twelve or thirteen and they're coming themselves, they uh, they never get out of the habit. And we really do have to get up and win the league because of that. Because I think if Hibs wanting to go up this year, it would be very uh, bad on the the financial state. It would also be very bad on on the fan state, and you could so easily lose them if you don't go up. Yeah. If they went up, then they could maybe gain another two or three, a difference of maybe 6,000. They may be losing a couple of 6,000 swing. I mean, it's, it's been quite disappointing, I suppose, from his perspective in terms of the league over the past couple of years. That's, that's two shots at, at coming up and, and they, they haven't managed to do it. But the fans have thus far been pretty forgiven, haven't they? It's pretty, pretty amazing. I, I think if I hadn't won the Scottish Cup, it would have been a wee bit different. But at the, the end of the day, the crowds, when they've been in the First Division, when Frank Alton and last one won the league in the First Division, they were up to the 14,000, 15,000 mark. And it's, I know it sounds crazy, but it's the same again. This season, just now, yeah. they've, been better in the last, they've been better in the last four or five seasons. You know, I just think it's because the team are winning, they're scoring goals. OK, they're going to have blips. Every team has a bit done the data. They're blip early doors. have started off great. Well, also at the end of last season, you lost Alan Stubbs. Uh, you lost the likes of Stokes, who was a big hero in the cup final. But you, but you got Neil Lennon and Hull. Is it fair to say that the comings and goings over the close season didn't he really diminish the club at all? Obviously, Hibs can't compete in the market. If it's a flat burner for them, a three-year deal, it'll be, it'll be big money. Hibs, it doesn't matter how much they wanted to keep Anthony Stokes, they couldn't compete in that angle. Mm. I think Alan Stubbs is the same. Yeah. And let, let's be honest, mo- most of the people now in Scotland, or well, most of the clubs now in Scotland, sorry, are, are selling clubs, whether it be a manager or whether it be players. Yeah, but even apart from that, you think you've managed to hold on to quite a few players. I mean, Cummings certainly springs to mind because because there were a lot of people who were interested in, in, in taking him elsewhere, and the club have managed to, to hold on to him. Do you think that the Scottish Cup win might have had an impact in that? Well, well, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, gig, a great card to have that to say that you've won the Scottish Cup. We're going to build on things. I think also Jason Cummins and a lot of the players that are there want to be the ones that take them back up. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe Hanley, Lewis Stevenson, the guys that have been there and been involved in the last two years in the first division. They would really want to. They would want to be involved in getting the team back up. What was good about yesterday's game was that the fans stayed with with the team. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They could see the effort. Okay, a lot of the, a lot of the crosses were were coming in for twenty thirty yards out, uh, and they weren't getting in, in behind Falkirk. But that was because Falkirk was so deep. 
but the team stayed right to the end, right, the, sorry, the fans stayed right to the end of them, cheering them on, trying to get them motivated, trying to just get that extra wee bit to get the last goal, uh, which was good because at times before, in the, in the last couple of seasons before, there's been times where it's maybe been a similar game, and the fans, I wouldn't say have turned, but I've no had the same encouragement, and it's great when you're a player, that just that Ouija sometimes can make the difference between getting a, a, a draw and a win, you know what I mean? And, and it was good that they stayed with them. Is that, is that your experience as a player? That I've heard players in the past say that they don't even hear the crowd sometimes because you, you know, you're, you're so involved in the game. I, I, but... I, 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 I can understand that because I think when you're playing well, you don't hear the crowd, you don't you don't hear the shouts or whatever because you're so much is just flowing. Yeah. You're just like a golfer, you know what I mean? You just stands up, doesn't he think about it and just hits the ball when he's playing well, when other times you're not playing well, you, can, you seem to hear every shout, you know what I mean, doesn't yeah. matter who it's from whether it be home support or away support, you seem to hear, hear every shout. So that puts uh, a big a big onus then on the supporters, I suppose if well, the team is they doing well, to encourage them rather than to, to cry them down right, Because well, if, 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 if say certain players we're getting booed, do they want to get on the ball again, does the manager think well he's being booed, they take him off and he could be a, a, a crucial player in, the, in, in, in the, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the game. The fans can get to players because at the end of the day, if they feel he's not giving 100% or he's not playing well, fans are soon let you know. Sometimes wrong, but it's, it's mostly 99% of the time they're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They won't be kidded on by players. And uh, it's better having the fans with you than obviously against you. But sometimes it's a making a player because you have to go through, just like a team, you have to go through the bad to get to the good. And of course, a lot of that is, uh, I mean, that's your experience, uh, you know, for the game coming through there, but th- that's also the, the role of a manager. And you lost a, a high-profile manager now on Stubbs, but you, you couldn't say that Neil Lennon was a lower profile than that. And how's, mm. how's he, what's his impact been, do you think? No, I, I think that, I think the fans are very encouraged by Neil Lennon. He's a little bit more direct. He does, doesn't play... Obviously, he's been watching Hibs and seen them play, and he feels they're a wee bit more direct. And so they're passing about the ball about the back. He tries to get it down down the sides and uh, and get the crosses in early. That's you look at the players that he's kind of bought is David Graham, Grant Holt. In fact, I think they won one game four 0 They scored four four goals with headers. It's, it's a more direct form of football, more more route one. Yeah, subs, yeah, yeah. And I think what he's what he's probably looked at, John. He's probably looked at. Listen, we need to get up. It's imperative. The fans might not like this football, or some of them might know, but this season, it's not about how we play. We have to get up. And I think the fans are saying the same thing when you hear them talking. But yeah, we would love to play great football. Yeah, we'd love to. But the most important thing is getting the results and getting us up. Because if we don't get that, I think it's going to have a major, major impact on the club. Well, Paul, as I said to Jim Spence last week, and I've got to say to you as well, very best of luck to Hibs for the rest of the season. I think I think it's going to be nipping nip tuck between the Hampton and Dunedin. I think one of the things could be the the buys in January uh, could maybe make the difference to to the running. You know what I mean? I, I know there's times, uh, but I think really the, a crucial a crucial January for both for both United and Hibs, and I think the ones that can get the signings that inspire the club, the players. The fans, maybe be the difference between winning the league and, and, and or being in the playoffs. 
Well, a, a crucial January perhaps for the United and Hibs, but uh, a crucial November now for Scotland because the game at the weekend, very disappointing in terms of the result. I don't know what, what you think about the performance, but uh, the, the talk now about the manager considering his position, what's your take on the whole thing? Well, I mean, I think it's been the rage since, since, since the game on Friday night. That's, there's two thoughts in the process here. Is, does he stick, do you stick with Gordon's tracking? What he's created, do you carry that on, or do you go for somebody fresh, new? But let's be honest, if you look, if you took 30 players for a pool of players from Gordon Strachan and another manager, mm. I think at least 25 would be the same because there's not that big a choice, maybe five different, but in, in the main, 80% of the, 80% of the squad would be the same as what Gordon Strachan has picked. I think the game that, that cost us was the Lithuanian game at home. Yeah. Because if, if, if you win that home game and you go to Slovakia and get beat, you can maybe then take a draw at Wembley. It puts a different kind of slight on the game, whereas, whereas on Friday night, we really we had to be cagey, but we also had to go have a go at the same time because we needed to get a win. But they weren't bad, were they? They were actually, I mean, I, no, I, I, I thought mean, the first half it, was excellent. If you, actually, if you actually analyse the game, we, we probably had more chances than, than England. Yeah. Yeah. They, took they have three shots and they're clinical. Yeah. If you look at most of most of the the, the current squad, there's maybe one, two playing in the Premiership. The rest are mostly playing in the Championship. Yeah. Whereas if you looked at most of the England team, you would see there's maybe one or two playing in the Championship, but the, the rest are not playing in in, in in the Premiership. So it's a quality thing yeah. more, more than anything else, then, yeah. I think so. I mean, when you look at the way Sturridge finishes, it's, 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 it's a half chance rather than a full chance. Mm. He puts it away. Cahill coming off the post, nobody's marking him to make it 3 0. The second goal, Alana's on fire just now, even with Liverpool. I mean, they scored three good goals as well. Oh, I, th- well, I think, I mean? for, yeah, for their perspective. But then again, if you pick the bones out of any goals, you can always find fault in yeah. them. But, but no, if you scored them. I think if Gordon Strachan had played half a go in the Lithuanian game with Griffiths up front you know what I mean and, and, and really pushing forward rather rather than the, the way the way he played a KG game it may all be different it may all be different I just I just think uh, it's not it's easy for us to sit here and see that but I just I just feel that there's I wouldn't say the passion but the, the fans are now looking for something to happen you know what I mean yeah. I think they're looking for for a, 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 another another manager, do you go? Do you go with Suter, McGinn's, Tierney's, or the young kids and say, "Listen, okay, we're going to go for this for two years. We're going to have, a, we're going to take these kids who have got very little international experience, yeah. and we're going to bed them in. So in two years' time, we're basically out of the World Cup. We're going to go for the European Championship. It's a tough one. To what? be honest, it's a very very tough call. And and what you got to remember <laughs> in this one, John is. Mm-hmm. Gordon Strachan is a key here because he could come in next week and go, I'm out of here. Yeah. And whatever we are talking about, saying, oh, should he go, should he no go, he could say, I'm out. So What's your sense? Do you, do you think that he may have had enough? The way he spoke and some he's like, oh, I could be golfing rather than... Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I could be on the go If I get sacked, I could be on the golf course. Yeah. You're like... I begin to think it's, it's been in his mind thinking that way. Why would you say that mm. if it's known you? Maybe he's trying to deflect for the for, for situations. You know what I mean? So I just thought with that kind of statement, it was 
telling me yeah. it's obviously there, it's obviously in his mind. And I think once he makes his mind up, he's, he's going to do that. If he feels that, it's over. It's over. Okay, Paul, listen, thanks very much for taking the time to come no on the Weekly Monitor. I know that you're taking part in a programme that we're doing about the Hib Scottish Cup win, and uh, we we'll look no forward problem. to hearing you on there as well. Thanks for us. No problem. Paul Kane there, thanks to him for taking some time to speak with us and uh, I sincerely hope that we'll be hearing more from him in the near future. As I said at the top of the programme, the Rangers saga continues unabated. Joey Barton's representatives, it seems to me anyway, have played hardball in their dealings with the club and they've managed to secure Joey a golden handshake which, when added to the wages he's already earned, come up to a level of about 60% of his total contract which was around 14k per week. A good deal for Joey since he played only eight times for a total gross take of around £800,000, £100,000 per match, or too much to you and me. Now that Barton is for the off, of course, the members of the mainstream media are telling us how it was a mistake to sign him. No, for Mark Warburton to sign him. Warbs should have known better, given his offish behaviour. Barton's that is, not Warbs. This from the very same people in the papers who failed to point out that very thing, that oafish behaviour, when Scottish football in general, and not Rangers, were the object of said oafishness. At the time, I seem to remember it was all good laddish fun in the post-respect world of football. Well, the MSM are now hammering nails into a tree stump, which will no doubt be used to beat Mark Warburton up, and beat him into submission certainly very, very soon. Clearly the responsibility for signing Barton will be pinned on Warburton, despite his failure to attend the signing conference and the absence of even a quickly scribbled PR welcome note from the manager to the new signing. Make no mistake, Warburton will be next, but meanwhile confidentiality agreement has been reached with Barton. <laughs> the trouble is that during the staring contest that's been taking place over the last few weeks, Joey has shown remarkable discipline for Joey. When the money is banked, can we be sure that discipline will be maintained? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Stuart Cosgrove needs no introduction to members of SFM, nor indeed to the wider Scottish public. A man of eclectic talents, a non-exhaustive list of which includes journalist, academic, football pundit and commentator, media and arts guru, and author of two best-selling books in one of his great loves, Soul Music. Another of Stuart's great loves, of course, is St. Johnson. It's now two and a half years since the Saints' historic fairy tale Scottish Cup final win against Dundee United at Celtic Park. Is there a continuing Scottish Cup dividend for the Saints? And how is the club's progress meeting expectation? We put that question and other matters of currency to the man himself. Stuart, St Johnson are very much in a challenging position at the top of the table right now, but, but looking back at 2014, that Scottish Cup win, it must have given the club a real boost in confidence. Has it translated into anything positive going forward? And have your expectations been met since then? Well, I think firstly, our, our Cup win, I think you start with the emotional well-being of the club and its, uh, uh, its uh, relatively small fan base. We had um, always imagined as, as a fan group that somehow we'd never get this monkey off our back, that we would never win a major tournament or win, a, win the top league or anything like that. 
So in lots of ways, going to um, Celtic Park that day and beating Dundee United, who went into it firm favourites, was a huge, huge day for the club. It would be difficult to um, even begin to kind of estimate how big, but I think its biggest achievement wasn't financial, wasn't even reputational. It was just simply to do with the self-belief of the club and the supporters that had followed it throughout their lives. So that was the, the, the big thing for me, being able just to simply say, we went there, we went that day and we won the cup. It yeah. was hugely, it, there was a lot of relief in it as much as anything, but also a, a feeling of real achievement, you know. I think Hibs people as well, you know, because obviously they won the cup last year and that was a mon- big monkey off their back. But speaking to Hibs people, they, they think that the club have had a real boost going forward and about that self-belief. I think my question is more about, do you think that the, the improvement, and I think that the, the, the on-field uh, performances in St. Johnson have certainly improved yeah. uh, well, since I the Scottish Cup. what happens is, is that you have um, a different level of uh, professional expectation. And I think that what's happened, I mean, I've, I've said a lot about this in the past. I think that we're living through a period of quite substantial change in Scotland. And I think that what we're naturally seeing in, in this, if you like, post-industrial period that we live in, is that clubs that were once huge sort of um, clubs within Scottish football from the industrial heartlands, uh, examples would, of course, be Third Lanark, who no longer exist, Clyde, who have uh, relocated, uh, and even teams like Morton. And although Morton are doing quite well in the last few months, they've been out of the top league now for, you know, decades um, St. Murren languishing at the bottom of the championship, you start to see those clubs that I I once, Airdrie, who of course, you know, famously went bust, Clyde Bank, who no longer exist. I I grew up genuinely believing that these clubs were bigger than St. Johnson. You know, that was the kind of, that was Hmm. sort of the emotional mindset you had as a young boy growing up that you would never be as big as them, that they had all of this other thing, they'd bigger crowds, they seemingly could attract better players, and that's all transformed. Now, some of that's been the long journey of history, but I think also the cup final helped um, uh, resettle that. We look, I mean, you'd be very, very surprised to find this out. If you looked at St. Johnson against St. Mirren, straight head-to-heads, St. Johnson have won twice as many games as St. Mirren mm-hmm. have. Now, most people, even now, if you were in, uh, I don't know, a daily record editorial office, would still hanker after St. Mirren being a bigger club than St. Johnson. I suppose it depends on your vintage, doesn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, like yeah. guys of my age remember, you know, the Willie Orman St. Johnson. Yeah. And Henry yeah. Hall is is a guy who is a kid, you know, I, I adored him. He was he was a wonderful player and they were a really formidable side at that time. Yeah, they, they were, the that side um, were probably our, our previous kind of best side you know, before the cup final team. And, and curiously enough, they remain on the record books to be the only club, only team in our history um, that have beaten Rangers and Celtic home and away in the same season. Now, that was a quite significant achievement, mm. given that it was the aftermath of the Lisbon Lions and a very, very good Rangers team. And to be able to go to Glasgow and beat them um, on their own patch was an achievement. I mean, we've subsequently beaten Celtic at Celtic Park a couple of times. We've beaten Rangers a couple of times as well, but we've never done it all in the one season, and that mm. team did. The the manager also has to take a lot of credit, I think, for the for St. Johnson's situation just now. Obviously, yeah. he, was a, he was a manager who won the Cup as well. Yes. But there's been worrying stories for, from your point of view anyway. Uh, when, when some vacancies crop up down south, that, that he's yeah. one of the guys it who gets is. mentioned. 
yeah, his name uh, pops up in the frame. Um, you know what? I think you get uh, used to there being a manager. And if he does well, you get a glory period, and then he goes. That's just kind of part of the inevitability yeah. about being a St. Johnson fan. But the one thing I would say about him, he's actually better than a lot of people imagine he is. I, I watch the team home and away, week in, week out. And um, what's remarkable about him is that he can set up teams uh, to win games. Now, that's that's a very, very hard thing to do in today's football. Now, I'm not saying that he can go to Celtic and win or go to Aberdeen and win, although we've won at both those places under his you know, tutelage. What I think he's very good at doing is saying... In order to win here, we need to do the following things, you know, and he'll sometimes flood the midfield with five or six players in midfield, um, playing only one up front, but even that one up front's a midfielder, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He, he'll do that, but then the next week, he'll, he'll have fullbacks pressing so high, they're almost playing as wingers, you know. Um, so he's, he's, he's very, he's got a lot of tactical acumen, and I think that that's, uh, I, I, I would actually say remarkably, um, he was a goalkeeper, you know, so whether that has been an advantage <laughs> to us or not, but the old myth was that goalkeepers don't make good managers. Well, you know, he, he certainly challenges that theory, you know. Talking about what you were saying there about the, the, the way that he sets up his teams, because the, there are no superstars in the St. Johnston team, although there are some None. very, very None useful whatsoever. players. I mean, Probably I'm, just now people would mention Danny Swanson as being yeah. on the fringe of the kind of Scotland squad or whatever. I like He's the left back as well. Yeah, sure. yeah, a big Eastern. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these guys are kind of... Um, <laughs> These guys are kind of alive, and you know, if you look at Swanson, he's a fantastic footballer, a really good footballer, and we're lucky to have him. But usually, what happens is that Danny's usually playing in a in a midfield where he's the kind of one that's allowed to go slightly further forward. So he's almost playing, and we've got um, Stephen McLean who plays in that kind of odd modern position. I think the the tacticians like to call it a false nine, where he's a striker, but he's actually deeper, he's down, he's, he's kind of you know, just on the fringes of the box and making kind of killer passes and that so I, I think that uh, I think going back to the manager I think Tommy's a very good manager for modern football, in a way that sometimes kind of, you know established managers can sometimes feel as if they're managing in the past he's very much managing in the present you know well, it's funny. I just I don't want to get sidetracked too much, but but um, it, whenever people talk about false number nines, I always think of Bobby Charlton. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I mean, you're saying that Stephen McLean is as good as Bobby Charlton? <laughs> uh, well, I think he's not got as strong a shot. I think he's got better <laughs> angular passing. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, how do you you see the rest of the season panning out for St. Johnson? I, I mean, I don't think it would be too. Uh, presumptuous to say that Celtic will probably win the league, but, well, but I think second place is very much up for grabs. Yes, um, you say that in a wounding time for me because we've just stupidly conceded six points at home to Kilmarnock and Partick Thistle mm. on goals that we lost in the last minute of both games. So there's a kind of slight kind of feeling of frustration about that because if we got those six points, we'd have been second just now, yeah. you know. Um, so yes, I mean, second's achievable, but I think it's more realistic that we would be fighting for the, the fourth place or for a, for a UEFA Cup slot. Um, but the club are still a pretty modest outfit. Avoiding relegation is a really important thing for us and staying in the top league. I think we may already have just about done enough 
to, to do that. Uh, and if we keep going at the rate we're going, it will be comfortable by January, I would have thought. You know. um, but uh, that being said, you can never, uh, never doubt our capacity to self-destruct. You know, cause we, <laughs> we go on really good runs and then we lose easy games. You know. uh, but, but we also travel well. I mean, you know, we've, we've got um, wins at, at Pataudry, wins at Ibrox. Uh, wins at uh, Celtic Park all within the last two or three seasons and we've got draws at all of those places as well. So there's a kind of way where you don't go, I used to as a child go to away games with the exception of that season with Henry Hall and John Connolly, going away thinking, oh well, we'll get beat, oh well, we'll get beat. Mm. You just don't do that now. We've not been beaten by hearts in something like eight games. So so you go away with a bit of hope in your heart, you know. Is that an indication then that if you were to take a straw poll at the moment of St Johnson fans, you'd probably get more thumbs up than thumbs down? Oh, no question you would, yeah. You, you'll get, there's always kind of uh, miscreants and miserableists who kind of want somehow they want Pep Guardiola and they want you to be playing like Barcelona. But hey, you know, that, 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 there's that kind of generation of kind of Sky TV fans that always want everything to be more exceptional than it can ever be. Uh, but no, I think that in the main, you know, people will be um, very pleased. I'm, I'm hugely um, chuffed because I'm, I'm, I'm very close to the club and know all the people that work there and whatever. Very, very small little kind of things that we achieve make me proud. So only last week, for example, uh, there's a great photograph of one of my mates, Stan, who's one of the directors. He's at um, the Emirates at Man City. Sorry, he's at the Emirates down at Arsenal. And it's the Match Day Experience Dinner Awards, right? (laughs) (laughs) And St. Johnson came second to Man City (laughs) and ahead of Chelsea. And just little things like that when you see the name coming up on the the screen of St. Johnson. And, you know, the club's very well run. Um, We've got um, uh, a woman, Beverly, who is the supporters' liaison officer. And you can text her day and night for about any information about, you know, ticket sales, about mm-hmm. disability issues, about anything that's to do with what a supporter might might uh, feel or, or whatever. So there's good communication with the, the fans. We've also got an extremely good um, social media, dedicated social media officer. So again, we're kept in touch even during games, you know. And, and that's one of the things I keep saying inside the BBC Guys, you, you know, you have to understand if you want to do social media, the clubs are already doing it very well. In the case of St. Johnson, extremely well. Um, and so, you know, it raises the question about whether public service broadcasters can ever be truly ahead of the smaller clubs themselves who are, are dedicated to it. Now, these are people that are volunteers or they're on relatively small um, salaries, but nonetheless, it's, it's a commitment. And uh, I, I feel very good that the clubs move forward in those ways as well. Well, from uh, an optimistic outlook to St. Johnston, <laughs> and I'm sorry to bring it up, but uh, let's turn to the international match at the weekend. Yes, of course. Uh, unfortunate <laughs> or hapless? Well, do you know what? I, I think it was inevitable and... I feel very, very, very um, uh, sanguine almost. I never, ever thought that I would quickly get over getting beat by England. Mm. But frankly, I knew it was going to happen and I'd emotionally inured myself to it. The, one of the things that I feel about it is I think it's characteristic of a wider um, challenge in Scottish football where uh, all sorts of kind of not great things have happened to the game in Scotland. It's not easy being cheap by jowl next to the English leagues. 
you know, where all sorts of um, uh, impacts it has on Scotland that it probably doesn't have on, you know, for example, Egypt or Ivory Coast yeah. or whatever. You know, just simply the extent to which a lot of our young people, I mean, even St. Johnson fans, I go on our forums and you see somebody who say, oh, well, you know, I'll not be able to make the game away at Ross County. I'm talking diehards here. I've got two tickets to go to, you know, Newcastle Sunderland Derby. And you're thinking, really? Really? You'd miss St. Johnson for that rubbish, you know? And I think that we've elevated the English game way, way above its status. I mean, even I think English fans would say that, that, you know, there's been a decline now in their viewing figures. There's a kind of alienation amongst fans that they feel as well as I think Scotland, Scottish club fans feel. And just what we've done is we've probably promoted into our international team people who are maybe not nearly as good as you imagine they might be because of the league they play in. So it's very easy to have a go at Hanley and Martin and that because they were the kind of most recent fall guys and that. But you look at guys like James Morrison and you wonder how far ahead he is of you know of, of players that are playing in the game in Scotland like McGinn or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I just think that we've probably got a little bit out of kilter there with our belief that the championship particularly is the greatest, second greatest league in the world, you know. I, de- I definitely think you're right that the English Premier League is more of a, a PR success than it is a, a, you know, a skill and excitement one. Yeah. But the, the problem is still there. Y- yeah. You know that, that, that famously Mark Wattett, if I've got his uh, name pronounced correctly, yeah. and, uh, and Brian McClear both left the, yeah. the position as development directors at the SFA. And basically it's an open secret that they left because the clubs weren't paying any attention to the solutions that they were offering for yeah. the, the, the malaise in the game. Well, I think that's right. Um, and, and I think that there's many different kind of reasons for that. But in terms of the um, uh, Brian McClear, um, you know, I, I don't know what the particular position was, but my understanding was there that he struggled to communicate out to the various different club chairmen and whatever. And uh, I'm only getting this from Inside St. Johnson mm. that, um, you know, that he wasn't a great communicator. Now, that should have been an really important part of the job selection yeah. process. And many people have subsequently said to me, you know, he was just the wrong guy for that job. He's not that, not that he's hopeless. He'd done a great job at Man United, da-da-da. But he had to go around and convince Roy McGregor up in Dingwall or Stevie Brown at Perth of what to do with your under-20s development team and whatever. And he just never had the uh, convincing communication skills to, to go and do that, you know. Well, if Stuart Reagan has convincing communication skills, what should he be saying to Gordon Strachan today? I think he should be saying to Gordon Strachan, uh, we've kind of run out of road on this one, Gordon. There isn't a lot of kind of evidence of confidence that we can qualify for this World Cup now. There's there's fantasists that say it's arithmetically still possible, but it's arithmetically still possible that next season St. Johnson can win the Champions League. Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah. I, I think that you can create all sorts of myths out of arithmetic. So um, I think that he should say it's time for you to go now, um, uh, but I have to look at myself and say what role did I play or did our organisation and national association play in your downfall? And I think the answer there is uh, fairly significant. You know, um, I think there's all sorts of things that we've got wrong in in Scottish football and I don't think that we've necessarily... um, I don't think we've necessarily covered ourselves in glory. I think it's very, very easy to say, um, you know, that oh, but 70% of the problem is the players aren't there. 
well, if that's 70% of the problem, let's reduce it to only being 50% of the problem. Mm. Because you've got to control every percentile of the problem. Marginal gains. Exactly, exactly. And if you look at the marginal gains theory, if you look at that just as as, as a solution here, one of the things that you would do is you'd say, we are showing ourselves to be very vulnerable in the central of center of our defense at senior level. Let's begin addressing that wherever we can and however we can. And there are, there are you know, I, I, I could recommend there are players uh, around in the Scottish League that are capable of being steady, robust defenders that can defend corners. Now, some people would say, oh, well, they can't be international class or we'd know about them. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, sorry, we've just gone to Wembley with two guys in the back four that are clearly no international class. So what, what, what is it that, you know, how do, how do we build that? And that's actually defending corners. This is not something that, you know, that it's not like we're saying, let's invent Lionel Messi. That's a very hard thing yeah. to do. Getting two big, hardy boys that can defend corners should be easy to Scottish football, you know. Incidentally, you could point out that England's two central defenders get very much hyped players because they play where they play. I didn't think they were much an improvement on the Scotland central defenders to be, no, to be perfectly I, I, I honest with you. Well, but we just didn't take the chances and we certainly yeah. didn't look like we could... Um, uh, deal with them and, and set pieces. I thought that I was very disappointed with that. You know, um, I know that you know having watched St. Johnson all season and for as long as I've done, I know that when uh, David Witherspoon, Liam Craig, uh, Danny Swanson stand over a ball twenty-five yards from goal, we have three options to deceive the keeper and the and the wall. We don't always score, but we, we, we regularly do. And I think we've I think our midfielders have probably got something like twenty, thirty goals between them over the last season or so. You know, I mean so you know, and that's at our national league level. Yeah. For our international team not to be able to put away free kicks and opportunities on the fringes of the box is what the which the modern game's very much about. It's it's actually a disgrace, you know. Well, you, you just talked about goal-scoring midfielders and uh, and one of the big soap operas that's been running all season uh, in Scotland uh, surrounds Joey Barton yeah. and, uh, and his situation. Obviously, not a success uh, on, on the field, but how do you see that? Do you think that Barton is the villain of the piece or do you think that Rangers have been a wee bit unfair to him laterally? Well, let's, let's jump back to why Joey Barton. I mean, there's a very, very interesting thing about this because we, we jump very quickly to him as a character and he's you know, his online presence and his Twitter account and all the rest of it. But if you remember, if you flash back almost um, a calendar year to uh, the last season that Rangers had, there was a lot of criticism of Rangers, both in the media and amongst their own fans, and indeed amongst other analysts of the games, that they were very, very vulnerable in in the middle of their back four. Mm. You'll remember there was the uh, famous 3-1 game that St. Johnson played at um, Ibrox where... um, uh, Michael Halloran scored the final goal for St. Johnson. We were yeah. 2-1 up at the time. He scored a third goal where he ran right through the middle of their back four and scored. And that became a, you know, an evident issue of uh, Rangers' biggest kind of vulnerabilities. And one of the things that, that was one of the reasons they targeted the Clint Hill guy. But another thing that Warburton was keen to do was to have better holding and sitting midfield players that could protect their back four. Now, when he bought Joey Barton, that was the reason he bought Joey Barton, not for Twitter campaigns, not because he had a book coming out, 
whatever he bought him bought him for that reason and i think at the time i thought hey that's a really good booking i actually thought he was going to be a a real star in yeah. Scottish football in that kind of robust, protective way that, you know, you sometimes need players like that that can get in and around people and can, you know, make tackles and, and cover space and all of those. And I thought he was going to be a really, really good uh, asset to Rangers, but it turned out not to be the case. And as things got worse, his career went backwards and people got more and more disillusioned um, with him. And, and inevitably, I thought it was inevitable that he would go. But, you know, we live in very different times, John. I mean, five, even five years ago, never mind 35 years ago, the club would have just said, oh, punt him, get rid of him, you know, yeah. get him off the books. You know, they'd used expressions like that. But we live in an era where contracts are contracts and where staff, are, uh, where staff of football clubs are employees that have got rights and all the rest of it. And Joey Barton... Um, I think there was probably a time when Rangers looked at saying, is it possible to get rid of this guy on a gross breach of contract? Uh, but actually, if you looked at it, a training ground bust-up, yeah. they're commonplace in Scottish football. They're commonplace in all forms of football. Uh, you'll remember, you know, John Hartson and... Heilbergovic. Uh, Heilbergovic. Yeah. There's, there's uh, also Hartson and Larson had bust-ups and whatever. No, it was so Tosh McKinley and Larson, I think, was the famous right, one. Tosh yeah. McKinley yeah. and Larson, yeah. So they've all been talked about and whatever. So you couldn't then put forward the argument that because of a, dress, a, 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 a bust-up in the training field that that was gross misconduct yeah. because you'd need to get rid of almost your entire staff. Then the second thing about it is is betting. Well, there's been about six examples of betting in Scottish football recently where people were either given minor fines or whatever, and you couldn't then turn around and say, on the basis of betting in leagues that were not your own league, we'll now change that from being a fine into being a, a reason to sack you, you know. So I think that there was a, a situation there where, you know, Barton rightly was kind of saying, well, look, you know, I'm a player for this club, um, either pay me up or let me go sort of thing, you know. Now, they came to a, a conclusion, I think it was three quarter, uh, a quarter of a million was uh, bandied about as being the severance pay and all mm. the rest of it, but he's a free agent in January and he'll almost, almost certainly get another club <laughs> probably in England and probably for more money. Yeah. So, I mean, so the irony of the situation is he's been, he's gone, and he was a brief kind of sensation in Scottish football. The only thing I would actually say really is, has he proven uh, game for game, pound for pound, you know, minute for minute on the park, has he proven to be better than other players in the Scottish yeah. League? And I, I think the sad answer to that is no, he hasn't, you know. So um, it, would, it was a very high premium they paid for him. Okay, I know you're a busy man at the moment uh, uh, as well, Stuart. Uh, you a new book out, Young Soul Rebels. Sales going with that okay, eh? Yeah, pretty well, actually. We're just getting up to the decision where we have to work out whether we're going to a new version of it or a reprint of it. And uh, the previous book, Detroit 67, is out in its republished form uh, this month as well. So I was in yeah. Manchester yesterday promoting the, the two books and, and I will be uh, in the run-up to Christmas as well. But... The main thing just now, I'm just back um, only a month ago from Memphis, where I'm working on Memphis 68, which is the next book, which yeah. comes out in the spring of next year. Busy, busy times, yeah. and I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, as they say, new opportunities in that. 
Uh, so sadly, I'll not be able to pick up the call to be Stuart Reagan's replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, even even sadder is that I bought the Kindle version of uh, Detroit 67 and then realised that the resale value in eBay was, was completely zero because I couldn't get you to sign it. <laughs> yeah, you need to be able to get to sign it. I mean, then it rockets up to about 70, 70 quid and that. But hey, isn't that... Dude, I thought you'd have been wise at all of that. Is it not the case that if you get a Lisbon Lions menu, you need Bertie all to sign it before it's worth it? <laughs> I think I think they'll come pre-signed by Bertie. <laughs> <laughs> sure, as ever, a pleasure. Yep. Thanks very a real much. Good one, John. All the best, mate. Well, thanks now. thanks bye. a lot, mate. Bye bye. Stuart Cosgrove there, always well worth listening to. Apologies to Bertie Ald, incidentally. But Stuart's latest book, which is called Young Soul Rebels, available all good stockists, is the second in a trilogy. Uh, the first one was Detroit 67, and it surrounds his great love soul music Bertie Old though maybe we should get him on here he'd be a laugh now, just before I go can I mention the fact that we have a live charity auction this week and next in fact on SFM the item under the hammer is a ball signed by every member of the Hibs 1991 Skull Cup winning team it was donated by David Lowe, uh, who mentioned it, I think, in his chat with us last week. The charity in question is Cody's Christmas Toy Box, set up to provide children in Edinburgh and in lesser circumstances with gifts to wake up to on Christmas morning. In fact, to ensure that Santa Slade does not pass over anybody's place. The charity is the inspiration of young Cody McManus, an eight-year-old with a huge heart and a wisdom belying his age. Have a look at the auction on the, on the website, but there's also a direct link to the charity's Just Giving page on the website also. Well worth a wee look. Well, thanks again to Stuart Cosgrove and to Paul Kane and to Young Cody, of course, and to all of you who have taken the time to be at one with TWM on sfm.scot. Bye for now.